How was everybody? <laughs> Last night I wasn't paying attention and, and I had waited too long to take a drink of water and I was like mid gulp when the lights came on. I was like, bleh, bleh, hey. And uh, so I'm, I, I didn't do that this time. Also, uh, really, really glad you guys are here. I hope none of you are flooded out of your homes. Um, yesterday, uh, we kind of got my, my wife took my oldest daughter. She went and played a chess tournament for eight hours. Went and played a chess, yeah. And I was left at home with my five-year-old, and we did, because it was raining out and we couldn't really do much, um, we did like a three-and-a-half-hour My Little Pony marathon on Netflix. <laughs> and uh, and um, it was getting real bad when you start to, like, get into, like, the plot and, like, you know, over time. And I'm like, Vi, who's your favorite? Mine's Pinkie Pie, you know? And, like, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> you catch yourself, and I'm like, I got to do something really masculine right now. I need to go, like, lift weights or something, because... Uh, Spent four hours of my day watching My Little Pony, but um, it was a lot of fun. So glad you guys are here. It's good to get out of the house, right? So, uh, all right, if you're new to the church, um, we are in the book of Acts. We've been in it for quite a while now. Still got a little bit of ways to go. We're a little bit more than halfway through it. We're in chapter 16. And if you don't know anything about the book of Acts, let me catch you up real, real quick. It's, it's not overtly complicated. The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. comes right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books are about the life and the teachings of Jesus. The book of Acts is a group of men and women taking those teachings and literally spreading them all across the world, going into different countries, as we're going to see today, going into a completely different continent. We're going to see the gospel going to Europe today through, via Greece. And um, it's a bunch of people taking the gospel out and spreading the news about Jesus Christ. Now, the men that we've been following the closest the last couple of weeks have been a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas. They were the first missionary team to go out. They went mostly through uh, what is modern-day Turkey. They went into a little bit of modern-day Syria and Lebanon and uh, kind of around the Middle East, and they were spreading the word. And what we come to find out at the end of chapter 15 is these two men have a falling out. And if you're reading the story for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, how could this happen? You know, like this team is, is splitting apart and they're gonna go different ways. And what we talked about last week Though it seems like that would be a bad thing that this relationship is kind of splintered and they've gone different ways, it actually worked out for the kingdom's advantage. God, won, he didn't want just one team to go out. He intended to have two teams go out. So we see that Paul picks up a man named Silas from Jerusalem and Barnabas is going to go a different direction. He's going to head west at first and Paul's going to head east and they're going to cover a lot more ground. And so we talked about that God works out all things for the good of those that love him. We get that from Romans chapter eight. And so we talked about this idea of even if we have made mistakes, if we will just be humble enough, if we will ask God to forgive us, God will work out even the bad things we've done to the good of his kingdom and for the good of those that love him. If we will just be humble and seek for forgiveness, okay? This week we're gonna talk about this as we start to follow Paul on his second missionary trip. We're gonna talk about two different points. One. We're going to meet two new characters today, a man and a woman, a young man and a woman named Lydia, and we're going to talk about how diverse they are. And what we see from that is we see that the kingdom of God is a diverse place. I'm not talking about just when we get to heaven, the kingdom of God now. I mean, you can look around this room, there are people of different color, different uh, ethnic backgrounds, you, people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's diverse and it should be. It's a good thing. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about this point that good works are a natural response to being saved. We're not saved by good works, 
But when we understand what God has done for us, the natural response should be to do good things for other people and to glorify God, okay? So we're going to talk about these two points. Now, you should have a note stand out in front of you. This isn't an actual picture of Timothy. They didn't have cameras back then, but um, you should have a notes handout in front of you. It has all the things I'm going to talk about today in it. If you have a Bible, we are in the fifth book of the New Testament, the 16th chapter. We're only going to do uh, about a third of the, of the 16th chapter today. We're not going to do a whole lot. Um, if you have a smartphone, the Version app, if you click on the bottom right button in events, the scripture pops up, the notes pop up, very, very convenient and um, good way to kind of go through the message. So we should have everything in place. So we're going to pray. We'll jump into this. You can hop in your bass boats and go home. And um, I don't know if it's still raining outside or not, but uh, anyways, uh, but we'll pray and um, we'll move forward, okay? Uh, last thing before I pray. Um, my friend David Whetstone is in the back. He does a really, really great organization that sponsors. He needs 300 kids sponsored in Africa for uh, medical needs, and for just the basic necessities of life. I'll get into this a little bit more towards the end of this, but I wanna encourage you guys, go back there and say hi to he and his team. Um, swing by there at the very least, I think it's about 35 bucks a month to support a kid. Go back through there, say hi to he and his team, maybe get some information and pray about maybe making some sacrifices and taking on a child and, and transforming their life through this organization, okay? So uh, make sure you do that before you leave as well, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. We lift you up, God. Thank you, Lord, for getting us all here safely. God, on a, on a serious note, if anyone's home has, has received water damage or people's property, God, we pray that, that, that you help and you uh, help with provision and those needs. God, for all of our homeless brothers and sisters that come to this church, who many of them live along the river, God, uh, if they've lost possessions, Lord God, or, or if their camps have been destroyed, Father, we pray that you keep your hand on them, God, and provide for them. Lord, we thank you for every church in our community, and we pray for them. We thank you for every great nonprofit. We thank you, God, for what you're doing here. Open up our minds, open up our ears, Lord, to hear what you have to say. If there's anyone in this room that's not a Christian, God, I just pray that they come in objectively and with an open mind and that they hear, God, what you're, what you're saying today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, chapter 16, I'm going to read a little bit. And we will go back and break it down. So Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in their numbers. Okay, so if you haven't been here, about three years ago from when this, this chapter was written, the first missionary team went out, right? They started heading west and reaching out to places that had never heard about Jesus. Paul and Silas are going to go back to those places, they're going to, but they're going to do it in reverse order. They're going to start where they ended their first trip, and they're going to go backwards. And I'll show you a map here in a second. One of the areas that they had previously gone to and are returning to was a very hostile area called Lystra. And in Lystra, obviously, there has been a young man that has converted to Christianity named Timothy, and so we meet this young man, Timothy. Now, Timothy's dad was a Greek, 
but his mom was Jewish. And if you know anything about Old Testament or Jewish law, it was, it, regardless of what your father was, a child would always take on the culture and religion of the mother if they were Jewish. So technically, this kid would have been considered a Jew, though his dad was a Greek, but it is alluded to in the scripture that his father was dominant, and so he probably didn't grow up with any kind of Jewish customs or Jewish background, okay? And we see that because he wasn't circumcised. So people like this kid. So this kid had become a Christian. He was young, and he was obviously a, a result of Paul's first missionary trip around. It said that he had a good reputation, so that means he was probably telling people about Jesus. He did good things for his community and the communities around him, and people liked this kid. Now, here's what's fascinating about Timothy. Timothy, and, and some of you need to hear this, scholars believe that he did not have a father in his life in his teenage years. They think that his father had passed away, his Greek father. So here's what we have. We have a fatherless mixed child from a non-religious background who eventually becomes one of the key ministers of the Christian faith. The reason why that's important is we live in a culture where everyone uses every excuse they can think of to prohibit them from doing something great for the kingdom of God. Well, Corey, you don't know my background. I didn't have a dad in my life. Neither did Timothy. Well, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Neither was Timothy. Well, I had all this adversity in my life. So did Timothy. We need to stop using our past as an excuse, and we need to start trusting that God has something great for our future, right? So we live in a culture that is constantly thinking of why we can't do things when we serve a God that can do anything. So we need to be trusting that God has a good future for us, and that's what Timothy did. And so Paul sees this kid who would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 to 18 years old. Paul meets him and he's like, man, this kid is sharp. He has leadership potential. And he says, hey, Timothy, I want you to go with me, but first we need to get you circumcised. And Timothy's like, that is awesome. What, uh, what, come again, right? What do you want me to do? And so Paul wants him to do this thing. And so the, the small Jewish community that would have been in Timothy's hometown, they would have rejected Timothy and they wouldn't have respected Timothy if they would have known that he didn't follow the Jewish customs, right? That it would have been like he was shunning his Jewish heritage. So, but we just talked about this. If you weren't here for chapter 15, there was a huge council that was brought together that basically came to the conclusion, we're not going to make new Christians do Old Testament Jewish customs. We're not going to do that. And Paul was the one arguing for that. And so why now in this situation is Paul going to make this kid, he's not going to make him, but he's going to encourage this kid to get circumcised in his late teenage years. Why? Well, here's the thing about Timothy's circumcision. It had nothing to do with his salvation. Timothy was already saved. In fact, he was already reaching out and witnessing to the people around him. He was good with God. But in order for him to minister to other Jews... If he was going to travel with Paul and go to these different areas where they would go into the synagogues and they would talk to Jewish people, if he had not been circumcised, no Jew would have given him the time of day. They would have shut him down in every single city. So here's what's happening here. Could Timothy have not gotten circumcised? Could he have stayed in Lystra? Was he saved? Yes, all those things. He could have even done things in his, in his community. But... God wanted something bigger from this young man. 
And we actually see going on later into the New Testament, Timothy is a big deal in the New Testament. He is mentioned in six of Paul's books, seven if you include the book of Acts that Luke wrote. He actually, two of the epistles of Paul are called First and Second Timothy. Not only that, this kid became one of the pastors of the church at Ephesus. You know, the book of Ephesians, right? Timothy was one of the pastors of that church. So did he have to go through this process to be saved? No, that's not the question. God wanted something exceptional out of this kid. And now listen, if any of us are going to do anything exceptional in this life, it is going to take exceptional sacrifice. Can we squeak into heaven and just do the bare minimum to be saved? Sure, we can do that. But why do you want to do that? If God has bigger plans for us and wants to do something amazing, will it cost us some blood, sweat, and tears? Of course it will. But we get to do greater things and we get to see greater things happen in the world around us. And at the risk of sounding crass, because we're talking about circumcision, but look at the metaphor here. There are things in our lives that it's not putting our salvation in jeopardy, but there are things that God wants to remove from us, not because we're not already saved, but because he wants better things out of us. He wants us to do more for his kingdom, just like Timothy. So we see the result went far beyond Timothy. The sacrifice that he made made him great, according to biblical history. Timothy was a great young man, but it extended far beyond him. We still teach from the book of First and Second Timothy. We still read about him and study him, and he still impacts people. But even shortly thereafter, Luke says the churches were growing, they were strengthened, they grew every single day. So here's what we learn. Our sacrifice is ultimately for something bigger than ourselves. It is for the kingdom of God. And God honors the individual for their sacrifice, but our eternal impact on other people, that's where we get a lot of satisfaction. It's not just what God has done with me or for me. It's lo I love seeing my kids praying. I love discipling up young men and women that are stepping up and hopefully they'll do better things than me. It's funny, Paul was kind of my, or uh, I'm sorry, Josh was kind of my Timothy. You know, he's my first uh, uh, protege. And I called Josh this week and I'm like, hey man, Paul had Timothy circumcised, so um, you were kind of my first, so. That didn't go anywhere, by the way. So, <laughs> so they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we, look at now Luke's including himself, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, I like maps. Let me show you a map, just to kind of show you where we're at. The circle right over here on the right-hand side is where Antioch is. That's kind of Paul's headquarters, okay? That's his hometown, right? That's where Paul has settled. They leave from what is modern-day South Turkey, this whole area. You see the Aegean Sea right here. Everything to the right of the Aegean Sea on this island, or not island, but this area right here is modern-day Turkey, Okay? Asia, not to be confused with modern-day Asia, this is part of Turkey. That was Asia Minor. 
If you go down south of Antioch, of course, that's where Israel is, modern-day Syria, Lebanon, all those places there. But you can see as they traveled northwest, they're going to go all the way through Turkey, having doors shut, as we're going to get to here in a second, and they're going to end up right there on the far western coast of what is modern-day Turkey. Now, over here on the left, Macedonia in the north and Achaia in the south, that is modern-day Greece, and that's where they are heading, okay? A whole different continent, but we'll get to that here in a second. So as the team moved northwest through Turkey, they came to the province of Asia, but it says that the Holy Spirit just shut the door there. Nothing was happening in this area, and they're traveling through. Now, why would God shut doors? The reason why is God intended for them not to get hung up in this area, but to quickly move through because they were going to eventually head to Greece, but they were going to stop in a place called Troas, okay? So how did the Spirit communicate this to Paul? We've seen in the book of Acts that God communicates through prophets, through different people who have the gift of prophecy. We see that he communicates through visions. We see that people are just so in touch with God that they can kind of hear that still small voice and know his will. We don't know how God communicated this to Paul, but we do know this. God wants to communicate to his followers. Now, our problem, I'm talking about you and I, not Paul. Obviously, he didn't have this problem. Our problem in, in modern-day Christianity isn't that God is silent, that he doesn't speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our problem is, is we are so distracted and so busy that we don't often have time to listen to Jesus. That's why this fast that I hope you guys are still doing is so vitally important. It eliminates distractions from our life, and it kind of clears all the junk away so we're more receptive to hear what God has to say. Whenever people say, Corey, I don't, I don't know why I can't hear the voice of God. When you're on Facebook for four hours a day, it's hard to focus on God. When you're watching TV for three or four hours a day, it's hard to focus on God. When we're so distracted and so busy and doing seven or eight things at one time, it's no wonder why we don't hear God. We have to be intentional about setting aside time to communicate and hear from the Lord. So traveling further through Turkey, God still continues to shut doors until they get to literally the very end of the, of the country of Turkey. They get to the very far western coast of Turkey. And one night, Paul is laying there and he receives a vision. And in this vision, there is a man from North Greece, the area of Macedonia, who in this vision says, come, we need you in Greece. We need you in Macedonia. Come over the Aegean Sea and help us. Now, if you're ever studying the life of Paul or just theology in general, this is called the Macedonian call. And this is a big deal because at first, Paul was going to plan on heading north, which would have been where modern-day Bulgaria is. He would have headed straight north. But he abandons those plans, and he's about to hop over the Aegean Sea, and he's going to go to a completely different continent. And so what's neat about that is now God has not just taken the gospel all around the Middle East. We are about to go to a completely different culture, a completely different area, and they're going to head to North Greece, and they're going to take the gospel to a completely different part of the world. And so this is an area, for any of you history geeks in here, this is an area of immense history, right? This is where philosophy came from. 
Macedonian, North Greece, was named after Philip of Macedon, about 360 years before Christ, became a Roman province when Rome conquered Greece. This is where Aristotle is from. This is where Aristotle tutored a young man named Alexander the Great, who eventually took over the majority of the known world in his life, right? The, actually, the prophet Daniel talked about Alexander the Great. And so we have, this is where Plato is from, where he wrote the Republic. There is immense history in this area. Not only that, the guy that wrote the book of Acts was from North Greece. He was from the city of Philippi, Luke, and we're about to talk about that here in a second. So after receiving the vision from God, Paul and his team waste no time. They hop on a boat, they sail across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, and the purpose of the message is very, very clear. But here's what's different. The whole time the message has been to share the gospel with people who didn't know the gospel. Now, a lot of those people in the Middle East were Greeks and Romans, but now the missionary team is going to be on their home turf. They're going to cross over into Greece, and they're going to teach Greeks about Jesus in their home turf, completely different than what it was like in the Middle East. So notice this. Once this team knew exactly what God wanted them to do, they didn't waste time, they weren't apathetic, they weren't lazy, they hopped on a boat and they started sailing. Now, let me see if I can paint this picture. This is an area they've never been to. This is in a place where there's not a lot of Jewish people. There's not big synagogues they can go to. There was probably a lot of anxiety and a lot of confusion and questions and fear before they hopped on this boat and went over. Also notice that Luke was now a part of it. So the guy that wrote Acts is now a part of the team. He just came on the team. But they were about to leave the Middle East, head over to Europe. Now, there was a British theologian named G. Campbell Morgan that wrote about this, uh, this, this specific event. And this is what he said, thinking about putting himself in the mindset of these missionaries. He said, circumstances of difficulty are opportunities for faith. And the measure of perplexity in service and in the Christian life is the measure of our opportunity. Look at this. He's thinking about these men sailing across to Greece. Let us follow the gleam, though the darkness threatened to envelop. These men had no idea what they were sailing to, but they knew that God wanted them to go there. So they kept focused on the light of Christ, regardless of how scary the darkness might have been. They sailed right into it. So from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman gathered there, or the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay. So the trip to Philippi was interesting. Again, for some of you history geeks in here, you might think this is interesting. 
The journey from Troas in Turkey to Philippi in Macedonia, North Greece, would have been about 130 miles by sea. The team stopped two times on their journey across the Aegean Sea, once on an island called Samothrace and once in an area called Neapolis. Now, here's where the geeks will enjoy this. Samothrace is where they worship the god Kabiri, which was a, a sea god. And this island was also believed to be the birthplace of Poseidon, the very vengeful Olympian god. So they arrived at this island where they believe the Olympian god Poseidon originated from. They stopped there and then they kept on traveling through. And they went on to Philippi. Now, Philippi would have been an extremely interesting city, especially for Paul. Paul was from a big city, and when they got to Philippi, Philippi was very sophisticated. It was extremely intellectual. They were famous for their school of medicine. That's why the author of, of Acts, Luke, was a doctor. He learned in one of the famous schools of medicine in Philippi. And this is Luke's hometown. So here's what's interesting. When you study history, um, Philippi was a great city, but it wasn't the leading city of Macedonia. But we see because he loved his city, the way he writes in the Bible, he says one of the best cities in Greece, right? Because it's his hometown. He's a little biased towards it. And you kind of see that come out a little bit. So Greece was a whole new ballgame. Like I said, this was a completely different world. And so when the missionary team rolled in, previously in other cities where there were synagogues, they would go right into the synagogue. They would tell everyone about Jesus. Like they wouldn't waste any time. Like they wouldn't stop at Denny's and eat real quick before they went there. They would just go right into the synagogues and rock and roll. They didn't have Denny's back then. It's humor, man. I'm, I'm so good at it. And it's just lost on you guys sometimes. It's cool. Anyways, so they roll into these different areas, but it says in Greece, they, they chilled out for a couple of days. They stopped and they were just kind of taking in this culture. It was a whole new world. Now, I find this is a subtle reminder to me as a Christian. Now, listen, are there some success stories to the people that like walk into a restaurant and they're just like, hey, do you love Jesus? Can I pray for you right now? Right? There may be some success stories occasionally in that, but 90% of the time it just freaks people the heck out. Right? Right? right I'm a Christian and I get a little freaked out when people are just like, hey, do you love Jesus? And I'm like, Ugh. my name's Corey, by the way. Right? You know, like... Can you get to know me first before you judge my eternal soul? So we need to be careful. And so we see right here, right, that these guys were wise. They understood their surroundings. They were being considerate to the people around them. Of course, do we shy away from presenting the gospel? No, we need to tell people the gospel. But we need to do it in a considerate way, in a respectful way, in a loving way, and maybe get to know people a little bit before we ask them if we can pray for them or, you know, if we, if we judge their eternal souls. Let's get to know people a little bit first. And so here's the thing. In areas where there was not a synagogue, because that's where the missionaries always started, in the synagogues, Greece didn't have synagogues like the Middle East had synagogues. And so when they rolled into this area, in areas where there were no synagogues, whatever small remnant of Jewish people existed in the city, they would typically go to the beach or they would go to a river, or they would go to a lake. They'd go by a body of water. So when traveling Jewish people would come through on the Sabbath and wanted to worship, though there was no synagogue, they knew that the Jewish people would be somewhere by the water. So this is where the team goes, expecting, it says, to find some people praying. They go to this area, and there's no men. There's only women praying, these, these women who are praying to the Jewish God, and there's only women, no men. Now, what's interesting is this. 
To start a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 faithful Jewish men to officially start a synagogue. So what that says in Philippi is there were not 10 God-fearing men in the entire city, and there was only a handful of women that were meeting by this uh, body of water on the beach. So the team joins them. Paul and Luke and Timothy and Silas, they all get together and they start talking with these ladies, right? And they start talking about spiritual things. Hey, we believe in the same God as you, but have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard of the Son of God and what he's done for you? And they start talking. And essentially they start talking about the gospel. Now there's this woman who's kind of hanging out, kind of on the fringe of this group talking, a woman named Lydia. And she is listening into the conversation And sometime during the course of them talking about Jesus and the gospel, I love this and it's so beautiful. It says that God opened up her heart and she was receptive to what Paul had to say. Essentially hearing the gospel, kind of at a distance, but listening in. She heard it, she believed in it. God opened up her heart. She accepted Christ as her savior. She became a follower of Jesus. And what we see is this. If we are just open-minded, And if we are receptive, God will do something supernatural. He will cut through the darkness of our lives. And we don't know all of Lydia's history and past, but whatever it was, God cuts through that. And he saved her in this moment, touched her heart and changed her life. Now, this woman is fascinating, fascinated by this woman. Listen to this. The first convert to Christianity in all of Europe was a woman. So whenever people talk about the Bible is misogynistic or God is misogynistic or Christ is misogynistic, it's not true. The first convert, the first Christian in the continent of Europe was a Gentile woman. She would worship with the Jewish women in her community. And what's neat is not just the fact that it was a woman. This was a successful businesswoman. She was essentially a famous fashion designer in Greece, and she was known for dyeing these clothes, this royal purple color. She was successful. She was affluential and influential. And it's kind of a similar story to Cornelius. He was the first non-Jew to ever be saved. He was an Italian man. And after he was saved, he invited all the people back to his house to tell, it was Peter and his crew, invited uh, invited them back to his house they taught his, his family and his employees and his friends the gospel, and they were all baptized. The same thing happens with this woman, Lydia. She says, come back to my house. Tell my family, tell my friends, tell my employees. And it says that they went back and they started baptizing the household. And because this woman was probably very persuasive, right? She was very, again, influential, affluential, probably a very strong woman she urged them to stay in their house. After her conversion, she makes hospitality kind of like, you can't say no, right? Hospitality was a conditional demonstration of what God had done for her. So not only that, look at this, look how cool this is. The first church in Greece was in Lydia's house. The church of uh, the book of Philippians, if you've ever read the book of Philippians, it was written to the church in Philippi who Lydia was the one that housed the church. It was in her place. And so the Philippian church was also known for its generosity. It was known for how much it supported the missionaries. Specifically, we hear about Lydia supporting Paul. If it wasn't for this rich Greek woman, Paul may not have had enough money to travel to all the places he did to spread the gospel. So we see 
that this church that was going to be started in her home and by this woman that led this church in her home, that great things were going to happen through her that rippled again and were responsible for for Paul even having the money to go do the things that he needed to do. So here's what's neat today. Look at this. We met two very, very different people. We meet Timothy, who is a multicultural young man from a non-religious family, and he didn't have a dad. That's one end of the spectrum, right? Then we meet this woman named Lydia, who is famous, she's rich, she's successful, and she's a Greek businesswoman. So what we see there is we see two very different examples of just how diverse the kingdom of God is. Does God love the poor and the fatherless? Yes. Does God love the wealthy and educated? Yes. God calls all people, all people, rich, poor, black, white, from a religious background, not from a religious background, regardless of the mistakes and choices we had made, God calls all people who are receptive and open-minded. Jesus says, if you will be open-minded, if you will be receptive, there's plenty of room at the table in the family of God for everybody. Everyone is welcome to be there, regardless of your background, regardless of what you're doing right now. Not only that, we see that there is a response to becoming a Christian. Whenever one has genuine faith, People can tell me they have faith all day long. We will be able to see your faith and how you live your life. With Timothy, he made sacrifices. He didn't have to, but God had saved him. Listen, when we start to understand what the cross means, it was no big deal. To get circumcised as a 17 or 18 year old was nothing compared to hanging on a tree for nine hours like Jesus did. So it was nothing for Timothy to be be, uh, circumcised. It was nothing for him to make that sacrifice for the kingdom of God. We also see with Lydia, her response was hospitality. Her response was generosity and gratitude. Guys, I'm not trying to get onto the whole money thing, but I will for a second. We we, we ask people to tithe 10% here at this church. That's not because we're getting rich here. It's so we can feed the homeless. It's so we can start new churches. It's so we can support churches in other areas. It's so we can support missionary work and things all around the world. That's why we do that. But when we find out that nothing we have, we have earned, that everything we have is God's, giving 10% of it back shouldn't be a big deal. You guys just, maybe we don't like hearing that kind of stuff. But, but listen, what, now you don't have to, it's fine, it's fine. It's between you and God. I don't even know who gives in this room and who doesn't. But when we start to get into our thick skulls that God has given me everything that I have in this life, to set aside a fraction of that back for the cause of Christ should not be a big deal. So Lydia, this successful businesswoman, said, wow, God freely gave to me. I should freely give to others and to the cause of Christ not a big deal for her. Now, are we saved by our generosity and benevolence? Are we saved by our sacrifice and hard work? No. But when we understand the cross of Christ, works and generosity should be a natural flow from us. So if someone says, man, I totally get it. I love Jesus. Wait, if you're not being generous and serving the community around us, there's a disconnect 
Maybe you don't fully understand the cost of Calvary and what Christ did for us. Because if we do, it changes the way we think and act and serve and love others around us. So what Christians are called to serve, every Christian is called to serve. What Christians are called to share, all of us are called to share. That's not a socialistic thing, that's a Jesus thing. That we need to step back and say we have enough and that there are children, I was about to say on the other side of the world, there are children in your city that live out of motels and don't have enough. There's a reason why the majority of the elementary schools in this town have free and reduced lunch. It's because those kids don't eat at home. And when the church builds $50 million buildings, we need to step back and say, there's something wrong with us. Now, again, that's not a mandate from the government that I should be benevolent. It's a mandate by my creator that I should be benevolent, that I have enough and that I should share and help you out too if you don't, that we need to contribute. Why? Guys, because none of it's ours. And I'm not even talking about your money. Your children aren't yours. God has given you those beautiful kids for you to raise up and steward for a time to let them go so they can also make a, uh, uh, an impact for the kingdom of God. Nothing you have that is good is because you have earned it. It's because God is gracious and he has allowed you to have those things. And so here's what we're getting at today. We are fighting and unfortunately it has infiltrated the church. The narcissistic and selfish culture of the world has made its way into the church. And a lot of us suffer with it too. It's all about us, right? We take this picture of our kid in the background when 70% of the picture is actually our face, right? It's not about them, it's about us. We've become a culture that it's, it's so much about our comforts and what we can do. And that is not the mindset of Christ. Jesus came down. The Bible says that everything was created through Jesus Christ. That means that Jesus Christ is the creator God. So when you look into a telescope and see Saturn, the rings of Saturn, Jesus created that, right? When you know that there's 200 billion galaxies in the universe, Jesus created that. Listen, that creator humbled himself, came down to earth, and you know what he says? It's in the book of John. He says the creator, he says that the son of man did not come down to be served, I came to serve. Right now, it's not about me. It's about you and you need help, Jesus said. And I came down to help you. I didn't have to. I'm the creator. But I came down so much so that one day he lifted off Peter's shoes and he got down on his hands and his knees, took off his tunic and started wiping down the dirty feet of his own creation. So whenever a Christian becomes narcissistic or selfish, we are missing the heart of God. We are missing the heart, of, uh, the, the heart of God. And we need to get it in our head that it is going beyond us. It is not about us just consuming. The church is not so, so the employees here can just do your bidding all the time, right? That's not what it's about. The church is not made up of a handful of employees. The church is made up of the people. And the people are called to serve each other and to help each other. And we've got to get beyond ourselves. I know the world is constantly hammering you to, for, for you to put yourself first. But that is not working. Families are tearing down because husbands think way too much about themselves and not enough about their wives and their children. 
Relationships with kids are breaking down because moms are so worried about being prettier than their daughters. They're so worried about being cool and holding on to youth at all costs that their kids are slipping through the cracks. We've become so selfish. And these are people that walk around with the banner of Christian. And why not? Man, the church has become selfish. We cannot adopt that mindset. That is not the mind of God. That is not the mind of God. If we're going to positively impact our community, if we're going to positively impact our families and our schools and our governments and our universities and our high schools and our workplaces, if we're going to honor Jesus Christ and fulfill the commission that he gave us, we've got to get beyond me. I talk about it often, and this is not to guilt you. I talk about it often. We have these first world problems in the church where we think that we are suffering because we don't drive a 2017 car or the new iPhone X comes out and we can't get it because, oh man, oh, woe is me, you know? And we have children in our community. They're here every Monday and Wednesday. I'm not just saying that. That's not just a superfluous thing that I'm coming up with or like something I'm imagining or trying to tear at your heartstrings. We have dozens of kids every Monday and Wednesday who are here that don't have homes. My friend David needs 300 kids to be sponsored over in Africa that don't have medical attention, that don't have food to eat every single day. But we drink $6 cups of coffee on a daily basis. Do I have any problem with your $6 coffee? Not at all if your priorities are in check. Do I have anything wrong with your 50-inch TV or? No I, don't have a, no, I don't have a problem with any of that stuff. But if there are children starving and not getting the basic necessities, and we have a $3,000 televi $3, television hanging on our wall, I think God needs to humble some of us. I think some of us need to step back and say, God, you've given me enough. I think it's time that my cup runs over and affects somebody else. My huge sacrifice, I said it a couple of years ago, I went from a venti iced coffee to a grande. Saved me roughly about a buck a day. With that buck a day, my wife and I adopted a kid in Peru. I went from this cup of coffee to this one. That was, that was my epic sacrifice, right? It's the little things but we could make huge eternal impacts. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You know, I think a lot of our problem is, is we think this place is our home. And the Bible's very clear on that. This is not our home. In fact, the Bible calls us migrants. We are traveling through this life on our way somewhere else. This is not our permanent residency. We are temporary residents on planet Earth. And I think what happens with a lot of us is we look out for our lives here and we're so worried about our lives here that we neglect the fact and we forget the fact that there is something eternal after this. 
in how we steward our resources here. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time, your family, your relationships. How we handle those things now, either positively or negatively, ripple forever, forever. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian in here, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe that one day Jesus is coming back, that the old heaven and the old earth will pass away and we will have a new heaven and a new earth in eternity. If you and I are Christians that believe Christ is coming back, we have to know that what we're doing right now today is an investment in our eternity. Greater than any 50-inch LED TV, greater than any car you can drive, greater than any $6 cup of coffee that's ever existed. Eternity in paradise with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, I don't wanna just go alone into that. I wanna bring as many people with me as humanly possible. And if I have to make some sacrifices in this life in order to bring you with me into the next, that is very worth it to me. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there is communion all the way around you, all the way around you, wherever you see a little lamp on a table. I encourage you, if you ask God to forgive you of your sins and you, you take communion, please just, just, just meditate and ponder and think for a second about what you're taking. The body and blood of Jesus represented in that bread and in that juice, the creator God that came down to be a servant for us, died on a cross for us. And after he washed his disciples' feet, he said, I want you to do this too. I want you to think like me. I want you to treat others like I've treated you. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about those around you. I just want you to think about that today when you take communion. There's, there's people up here on the right and left to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. Please go back and see my friend David and his team back at his booth in the back. And I just pray that we can all be humbled and that we can just focus on what Christ wants us to do. We are little Christs. That's what the word Christian means, literally. Little Christs. If you're in this room and you are not a Christian, I just pray that you keep an open mind and I pray that you keep coming back, keep digging, and you'll find what you're looking for. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. God, I pray blessings on everyone in this room. Lord, it's not my prayer that people go without the basic necessities. It's not my prayer that people are just constantly suffering and feeling guilty for the things they have in their life. That's not my prayer, God. And if it came off that way, Father, please forgive me. But my prayer for my brothers and sisters in this room is that we have your heart. My prayer for my brothers and sisters in this room is that we think of others like you think of others. That we are servants, just like you were a servant. That we're benevolent and kind and hospitable. That we're loving and caring. That we're sacrificial, God. Lord, for anyone in this room who may not be a believer, I just pray, God, that they felt welcomed and comfortable in here today. For everyone that takes communion, God, remind us of the sacrifice you made for us and how much you love us, God. For everyone that comes up and gets prayer, God, wherever there are two or more gathered in your name, Father, you're there, and I pray that you hear those requests and those petitions. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, God, and it's in your holy name that we pray, God, in Jesus' name.
Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.